I was going to put a put a PowerPoint presentation together and didn't, I ran out of time for that. And then I also had, had some notes that I was going to print out and give you and I ran out of time for that. So what you see is what you get, okay? And but the, 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 so the headline, all right, the headline of this morning's talk is, is life, is life. And, uh, and it was quite cool. Last night um, we were putting Elena to bed. I, I told some others a story this morning. I just wanted to share it with everybody. And, and she's got... She's gotten um, uh, to like my, I have an old New Testament Bible that I was given when I started at Wellington College in third form. You probably got one too, eh, Matt? Uh, well, maybe not anymore. Um, anyway, they, they gave us these, these little blue New Testament Bibles and a Gideon's Bible. Anyway, you know, she, she wanted, um, she saw this little book and she thought it was cute, right? Because she's three and a half years old and she likes little things. And so it became hers, and then she pretends to read it, but she can't really read it. And so we said, um, you know, ask, ask Jesus. We're, we're quite good Christian parents, and we go, oh, ask Jesus to ask Jesus to say, tell you what it says. And then um, I think as we we're putting her to bed, we go, what you know, what is what is Jesus? You know, what has Jesus t- told you? You know, what is um, what is Jesus saying to you? And, and she goes, hmm. she goes, Jesus is life. I go, wow, that's amazing. She didn't know that I was talking about life this morning, and. Man, that's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Elena. And, and then she goes, Jesus, she kind of has this like confused look on her face. She goes, Jesus is God. Go, yeah, that's that's right. And then she says, Jesus is in Wellington. I go, yeah. We'd been in Wellington yesterday. I think that's why she was thinking about that. Jesus is in Wellington. And uh, she said, yeah, that's right. And if you don't know, we live in we live in Lower Hutt. And she goes, hey, Jesus, is, Jesus is here. I said, yeah, that's right. And she goes, is there two Jesuses? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> He's everywhere. He's everywhere. But it is a, it's a hard concept, isn't it? Like Jesus is with us. Jesus is uh, with us every, all around the world. Life, anyway, is the topic for today. Jesus is life. And Rosh, Rosh Hashanah is this, um, is this, uh, this day that, um, that Jewish people will uh, think and consider like the meaning of life. And what's the significance of living? And, and these are these are big questions, eh? What's the meaning of life? What is the significance of of living? Um, as as I said before, like today is the the day for blowing trumpets. And the, but the focus of this day is is really on on the personal, and it's a day for thinking about our mortality and the meaning of life, and and also about the Lord as as a, as the Creator and as the Judge. So quite big things. Quite big things. This morning I'm going to cover quite a bit of ground, so I'm just going to try to stick to my notes. Um, I'm going to be talking about life, and I'm also going to be talking about death. I'll talk about God, Jesus, eternal life, and um, and I want to I want to give you a trigger warning because a big part of what I'm I'm talking about is the upcoming referendum on the end of end of life choice act. My conviction about that. Um, and so if you feel, you know, if, if that makes you uncomfortable, if you feel uncomfortable or uh, distressed hearing me talk about death or terminal illness or euthanasia or assisted suicide, then it's okay if you want to sit this out. Like no one's going to, um, no one's going to judge you if you, if you want to, um, you know, if you'd rather not uh, listen, listen to it. So, um, but this morning's really about life and that invitation into the life of God. So. I'm going to start with Genesis, Genesis chapter one. <laughs> Sorry, they heavy, they they are heavy topics, right? They're big, big things. So, 
Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, says verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now this is where the phrase Imago Dei comes from, the Latin phrase Imago Dei. means the image of God. And in this verse, we read that humans were made, are made in the image of God, unlike the rest of creation. We're all, everything is created by God, animals, fish, uh, sea, uh, fish in the sea, birds, etc. But not, but not everything is made in the image of God. This is what sets us apart from the animals. Um, we're made in the image of God. We, we are given, uh, in this verse we read how humans are given dominion over the rest of creation. Uh, dominion to rule like God. So we're made in the image of God and we're given, given dominion to rule like God, to have um, Almost like to be, to act like God in this world. We might act like animals. <laughs> uh, we might look like animals. Uh, we might even share 95% of our genetic code with some animals. But we're somehow significantly differentiated from them. This is what it says, uh, you know, made in the image of God. So it doesn't matter what you look like. Stepping away from the edge. <laughs> anyway, doesn't matter what you look like, you are made in the image of God. The person next to you, they are made in the image of God. The person on the street, made in the image of God. The poorest of the poor, the richest of the rich, made in the image of God. Young, old, white, black, female, male, able-bodied, disabled, everybody is made in the image of God. We have inherent dignity, and we see that everybody else has dignity that comes from being made in the image of God. So then moving on to the second, second chapter of Genesis, and there's, there's a few more details about God, how God made, made people. So this is reading from Genesis 2, 7 to 9. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree, was, the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, some of you know that I have a, I've got a, I've a side gig. I've got a gig um, during the week and I, I work as a, um, I'm a scientist in the School of Biology up at Vic Uni, and you know this passage and uh, passage frustrates me a wee bit. I want to know the details. I want to know like how did God actually do it? How how did it all come together? You know, there's endless debates uh, in the church and in the world about about creation. How how did we come to be? And yet, this passage also in, inspires me. Because even if you've got all of, those, all of those questions, we have all of those questions, but this is what God has revealed to us, and this is what God wants us to know. He wants us to know that we are a Day, that we're made in his image, that we're, we're, 
we're differentiated from animals, we're different from the animals, and that he himself breathed his breath into, into the nostrils, and I love this phrase, into the nostrils of a man of dust. Breathe into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So this, this, this man of dust, this, this, this lump of dirt becomes a living, uh, a living imago day because of the breath of God. And, it, and at the beginning in the Genesis story, we see that um, God and humanity are like this, right? So close to each other. We, we read about them walking and talking, Adam and Eve, walking and talking with each other in the Garden of Eden. And the story, God wants us to know that there's no separation of people from God himself. There's no separation of people from the presence of God. Life, life comes from God. And the, fir- and the first people, these people we read about, Adam and Eve, they were connected, directly connected to the source of life to God himself. And then uh, as we continue on in the story, then comes the fall in chapter 3. The man and the woman, they might have been living in this ama- amazing paradise that we can hardly imagine, and yet they, they wanted control. And they didn't want to come, they didn't, they didn't want to come under God's, God's rule and reign. Instead, they wanted, to take that, they wanted to take the rule and the reign for themselves. And this, it's a strange story about this this. The serpent comes along, a talking serpent, and the serpent deceived them. And he says, he says, if you want to be like God, then eat from that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that uh, earlier in the story God said that they shouldn't eat from. I mean, who, who would want to eat from a tree of good? Yeah, I want to eat from a tree of good, but who would want to eat from a tree that's good and evil? Ah, oh, I don't really know about that. And so uh, sometimes I read it and I go, if only I could go back in time thousands, thousands of you, how many years it is, go back in time, say, Adam and Eve, don't do it, don't do it. You're already living in this garden of good, don't, you don't want to know about evil. You don't want to know about evil. And, and the devil, uh, the serpent, sorry, tricks them, he goes, if you want to be like God, but they, they didn't really know that they were already a Margo day, they were already made like God. <laughs> so they did. They ate from the tree, and it's an act of rebellion. And in this act of rebellion, they seized control. They they took what God had not given them, and they separated themselves from God. So separating themselves from God, separating themselves from His presence, uh, separating themselves from the from the source of life, the one who breathed His life into them. And then at this point, the great enemy, the terrible enemy of death, entered entered the system, entered our world. A lot of people have smartphones, right? I'm sure that most of you have a smartphone in your pocket and that you have to charge your smartphone. I've got to charge my smartphone, my iPhone, uh, at least every night and often during the day now. The, the battery's getting pretty thin. As soon as, as soon as my phone's not plugged in, it starts draining. It starts losing, losing its charge. And if it's disconnected for long enough, then you got a dead phone. You can't even use it. And I think this is a great illustration for, for, um, for being disconnected from God. When we're disconnected from God, the result is death. Genesis 2, 17. 
This is where God gives his instruction about the knowledge, the tr- eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says, but, the, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you, sh- you shall surely die. So in that moment, in that moment when, they, uh, when they seized control for themselves and when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they became like the walking dead. Knowing good and knowing evil. Dying, they were still imago day. They were still living because they had the breath of God in them, the Father's breath. The Father, the Father, in His love, He doesn't dis, He doesn't disown Adam and Eve. Instead, He mounts this mission, this rescue plan that you can read about through the Old Testament of the Bible, and then it, um, then a lot of the action happens with the birth of Jesus, with the coming of Jesus, uh, which we read about in the New Testament. And this is what it says about Jesus, um, the word of God and the gospel according to John. And I read this a few weeks ago, but I'm just going to go back to it again. It's one of those ones, I don't know if we can hear it enough, to be honest. John chapter 1. Remember, when, he, when we read about the word, we're reading about Jesus. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus was right there at the start, at the, at the dawn of time when God breathed, when he gave that man of dust a hongi and breathed, breathed his breath into that man of dust, Jesus was right there. Jesus is, Jesus is life, like Elena said. Jesus in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The, the, Greek, the, the Greek word that, that is translated as life in our Bibles is Zoe. We all know Zoe. Your name is life, and it's your birthday this week, and it's going to be a great new season for you. It's a word you all know, Zoe. And the good news, according to John, is that Jesus came to us, even though, even though we, we, we were dying. He came to give us eternal life. And many people's favorite verse, most, maybe the most, most well-known verse in all of history, because people put it up on their banners and stadiums and so on, and it's John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life. That would have eternal Zoe. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. <laughs> so he's awesome. So we connect the dots with Genesis chapter 1 to 3. The day that Adam and Eve separated themselves from the source of life, from God through their rebellion, they went from life to death. And yep, they were still breathing. In fact, according to Genesis, they lived and breathed for hundreds of years. They were still living, breathing, but. But they were perishing, they were wearing out, like my iPhone, currently running out of gas. And, Je- and Jesus changes all that through his death and his resurrection. 
He changes it all. And so all we have to do, our part of the exchange is simply to believe in him, to choose to believe in him. And when we do that, we come into the into relationship with God so that that disconnection that happened in the Garden of Eden is, is restored. We come into communion with God. God loves us so much. He wants us to live so much that he gave his, his only son, his only begotten son, so that we can have eternal life. He wants us to live. The gospel, then, is a matter of life and death. And these scriptures, the whole Bible, the whole Bible is a matter of life and death. It's so much easier to talk about life. <laughs> it's so much easier to talk about life than it is about death. But we, we need to be able to talk about both. And we need, we need to be able to talk about both. So coming up, coming up next month, 17th of October 2020, uh, we are facing this significant national decision. And it's about life and death. Yeah, we're going to be voting for our favorite political party and our favorite, uh, you know, MP. And um, but I think the bigger decision is actually this one about the end of end of life choice uh, referendum. Actually, there's two referenda. There's also the the cannabis uh, legalization one. But today, we're talking about the end of life choice referendum, and these are big. These are big decisions. These are big decisions. And I think as followers of Jesus, it would be a mistake not to carefully think about them, to prayerfully seek the mind of God, to learn the will of God. Like it says in this verse that we often use, uh, we often talk about here at Capital Vineyard Church, John in uh, Romans 12.2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Oh my gosh, I need that. Renew my mind, Lord. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So I've been talking about I've been talking about life. I've been talking about uh, the meaning of life, or at least where our meaning comes from. I've been talking about how we're all made in the image of God. That God Himself breathed His life into a man of dust and lives, and so out of that, every person has value, dignity, significance, meaning, and it just comes from being created by God. And now, shifting lanes, I want to think about talk about the end of life choice referendum. That you know is usually talked about in the media as a, as a euthanasia referendum, and and as I talk about this, I, I want us to be able to think about and and apply that Romans twelve two verse. What is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect in your eyes, God, with regard to this referendum? And you know, I want to be able to like lay lay myself open before you and say my conviction, my belief is that it's not God's will. It's not God's will for one person to assist another to die. And it's hard to talk about this. I. <laughs> I was up late, like, <laughs> and it's hard because well, there's heaps of reasons. Death, for example, death is not death is not a happy topic, is it? Not usually a happy topic, and I and I don't want you to come along to church today. I don't want you to feel discouraged. I don't want you to feel distressed. I don't want you to leave feeling down, like oh, that was a that was a service that Rosh Hash, Hash Hashana service. I like the shofars, but I didn't like talking about death. But but I also feel like as as the pastor of this church, I'd be doing I'd be doing your disservice, and in fact, I'd feel like I'd be almost like betraying God if I didn't talk about issues like death. So I just really want you to hear my heart. You know, um, talking about this is hard because, frankly, 
I don't want you to disagree with me. I'm afraid of having difficult conversations. I don't, I want you to like me. I've wanted people to like me since I think the end of primary school at some point. <laughs> Seriously. And, and, and it's hard because I don't, I don't like it when people disagree with me, but, but that's not reason though to talk about it. It's, so, like, it's okay if you disagree with me today. It's okay. The, the gospel teaches, the New Testament teaches that it's more important to try to maintain unity in Jesus. That's the important part. It's, it's also hard, hard to talk about it because, because you or someone you love, someone that you're close to, might be like me facing suffering and death. This might be, this might be like in the forefront of your mind and I don't want to minimize, I don't want to ignore your pain, I don't want to be flippant I don't want to you know, say that the pain of other people um, doesn't, doesn't matter, it's important the, the Lord God he, he cares so much, the Lord is gracious and compassionate and I believe he cares deeply about us there's a, there's a story about uh, Jesus in, in, the book of, in the book of John and in the story um, Jesus has a, has a great mate whose name is Lazarus and the story, the story goes that um, while Jesus is um, off on the other side of the Jordan River, he gets a message that his, his best, this great mate of his, Lazarus, is is dying. And that, you know, the, the, in reading between the lines, Lazarus's family wanted Jesus to come back, come back and heal him. They knew he could heal. Come back and heal Lazarus. And instead, Jesus, like blowing everyone's minds, he he goes, um, he stays there for another two days where he was. And then, and then he, and then, by the time he actually arrives in this in this village called Bethany, Lazarus, his friend, had been dead. He was already dead. He'd been in the tomb for four days. And so, Lazarus's uh, sisters, Mary and Martha, they they come out, and each of them say to Jesus, "Lord, if you were here, Lazarus would still be alive." And they were they were mourning the loss of their brother. They were mourning the loss of the friend. No one could understand why Jesus hadn't come back and healed him. And then, and then we read what what is often known as the the, the Bible shortest shortest sentence. As Jesus sees um, Lazarus's family mourn and they're so they're, they're so gutted, it says Jesus wept. It says that Jesus filled with compassion, like moved in his spirit. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He cares deeply about us. If you don't know that story about Lazarus, it has a, it has a bigger, it has, there's a bigger story. It doesn't end there with Lazarus in the tomb. There's this moment where um, Jesus asked to be taken to the tomb, and he asked for the stone to be rolled rolled away from the front of the tomb. And people go, "Don't do it. It's, it stinketh." <laughs> and but Jesus goes. No, they roll it away, and then he prays to his father. He prays this prayer, and then he calls to the dead man to rise. And out from the tomb, still with his grave clothes on, Lazarus comes out. He's still, he's he's living. He's now he's been raised from the dead. Really interesting that uh, that was the final straw for Jesus' enemies, and it was that that led to uh, Jesus being uh, being. Um, being crucified. This book, talking about the whole Bible, 
is about life and death. We should be able to talk about both. Jesus talked about death. So did his followers. We are a Christian church. We believe that Jesus died for us, and by believing in him, we, we can have eternal life. So death and life become part of our narrative, part of our story. So I want us to like, look at the referendum. Uh, like I said, I, um, you know where I'm going to be coming from this morning. You might disagree. That's fine. This is straight from the government's referendum, the government's referendum webpage. I'm just going to read it to you. I was going to have it up on the screen, but I'm just going to read it to you. You can look at this yourself. The purpose of the act is to give people with a terminal illness the option of legally asking for medical assistance to end their lives. They must meet the eligibility criteria to have the option. Parliament passed the End of Life Choice Act, but has not come into force. The act will only come into force if more than 50% of voters in the referendum vote yes. Coming into force means that the act will start operating as law in New Zealand. This is really, really important. Sometimes we have referendums and it actually doesn't matter if 80% of people vote yes or no. This is a, this is a referendum that, that counts. Every vote counts. If more than 50% of us vote yes... Then in 12 months' time, in November next year, someone who is diagnosed with a terminal illness that's likely to end their lives in six months can ask for assisted dying. Two doctors. Two doctors are needed to agree that this person is eligible, and then the process of assisted dying begins, and this can take as little as four days. Our vote makes a difference. So in the, in the Act, assisted dying, it means two things. One, it's when a doctor or a nurse gives the patient a drug that kills them. So usually this is, um, this is usually referred to as uh, voluntary euthanasia. And then uh, in the second part, it's when the patient is provided with a drug that they then take themselves. Uh, this um, is commonly called assisted suicide. For me, this boils down to two questions. Uh, one, is it okay to end the life of another person? Is it okay to kill, kill another person? And, and secondly, is it okay to help somebody to commit suicide? And the End of Life Choice Act that says that sometimes it is. And the motivation behind it is, is, uh, is said to be compassion. To relieve the suffering of a terminally, terminally ill patient, death is given as the solution. And we guess, well, you've got to ask ourselves, but is it? Is it the solution? If, if in your view, if in your worldview, there's no more to life than atoms and molecules, and that, and that we as humans are these, uh, these sophisticated assembly of cells, then maybe death is a kind of a solution. Death is the end. Death becomes the end to pain and suffering because there's nothing after that. It's the end. We would cease to exist. Game over. But I think that even if even if you have that that view of the world, then the act. The act as it's written is, is still an incredibly risky piece of legislation. Like I'm not I'm I'm not an expert in it, but but this really like there's there's certain things that I find really concerning, and these are a few of them. The, the idea that in as few as four days a patient can go from um, requesting assisted dying to death, and that without without talking to anybody except for these two doctors. They don't have to talk to their family. They don't have to talk to a counsellor, uh, someone that can then actually like gauge like how how are you going? What or to gauge like is this is this? You know, we often make emotional decisions. 
Four days. How do we safeguard against hasty decisions, especially for people in very difficult and intense situations? Overseas, they have, have a, like, a, like a cooling off period where there's a period of time. They can figure it out. In the, in the uh, legislation, there's no requirement for the patient to receive any treatment or even uh, any palliative care for their illness. What if there are treatment options or pain relief that would actually help in this situation? Not, there's no requirement there. There seems to me to be very weak protection for the patient to protect them from pressure from other people. What if the patient, what if this person is is afraid of being a burden on their family, on their loved ones? What if, what if their family does put pressure on them? What if there's someone in their world that is putting pressure on them and the, and, the, and, the, and the patient wants to keep that a secret? How do we protect the patient from that? It, it also really worries me that actually there's a, there can be a financial incentive to... Uh, to the act treating a patient especially a patient with terminal disease is expensive costs a lot of money not just for the healthcare system there's often massive burden there is cost to the family down the track how would it be possible how is it going to be possible to protect vulnerable terminally ill people from financially motivated decisions it'd be naive I think to go or naive or have a really idealistic view of our world to think that people just simply can't do that or wouldn't do that. Man, look at look at history. Look at what happened in the 20th century. So quoting uh, a website that I've been looking at, which um, which I do encourage you to look at, it's called Defend, in, Defend NZ, and it is a, it is a, you know, a lobby group. So obviously they've got their, um, got their message. But they say, the campaign for the End of Life Choice Act would have you believe that legalizing euthanasia and assisted suicide is the only compassionate answer to people with terminal illnesses or degenerative conditions. They say this could not be further from the truth. In New Zealand, our current end-of-life choices include palliative care, controlled withdrawal, or patient-led withholding of life-sustaining treatments and advanced care planning. My um, mother-in-law is a, is a hospice nurse. She works with uh, dying patients, assisting them in those in those last days. There's there's compassion. Compassion compassion can be shown to people in much better ways. I was listening to some great podcasts and listened this week to an interview with a palliative care doctor in the USA. His name's um, Dr. Ryan Nash, and he talked about how uh, in his career uh, so far he's cared for over uh, 6,000 people uh, dying, dying patients. And he said that not once has it crossed his mind to relieve their suffering by ending their lives. Instead, he talked about how much can be done to alleviate pain, the things that can be done to actually care and show care and compassion and love. For, for people he talked about the options that are already available without resorting to euthanasia or assisted suicide and what stood out to me as I was listening to it was how like true compassion or Jesus led compassion compassion actually involves caring for the sick involves caring for the vulnerable and doing whatever we can to help them even in the, sta- in the final stages of life 
you know, like um, you know, next year, uh, Atlanta told you all that we're having having a baby, and when a baby comes into the comes into the world, there's a massive burden, especially on the on the mother. Yes, the mother goes through this inordinate uh, suffering. I credit to your mums. You. Uh, You're amazing. So we have this moment. Um, that's that's our birth. That's how we came into the world. There's the, the as as babies, we don't have the burden. Our family has the burden. And um, in this interview, I, I, I kind of brought to mind how even in the final stages of our life, it's okay to be a burden on others. In, in fact, it's the it's the it's the way God has for us. And in, in this podcast, it talks about how our death actually becomes a becomes a new birth in a sense. So it's, um, it's the end. Our, our body day, our body dies, but our but our spirit then goes to um, be with Jesus. And in the resurrection, we believe that body and spirit united. Right? Jesus led compassion. Actually, involves caring for the sick and the vulnerable, doing whatever we can to help them, even in the final stages of life. So in New Zealand. Sorry, I've got another couple of pages that I want to get through. In New Zealand, already a patient can legally refuse or stop medical tests and treatment. A patient can make a do not resuscitate order, meaning that if they, you know, if they uh, don't want C- they don't want CPR if their heart or their breathing stops, they can refuse to be on life support. A doctor can already legally turn off the life support. A doctor can legally stop treatment that has become futile or overly burdensome to the, to the patient. And a doctor can give the patient as much medication as needed, as needed to control their pain and other symptoms. Um, so already that's allowed. There's, there's ways, there's um, active ways of actually caring for people. There's well-written and really clearly articulated opposition to the act from Hospice New Zealand, you know, it's an organisation that works with dying people, the New Zealand Medical Association, have written some uh, great stuff. Both organisations actively and very vocally now actually oppose, oppose the act, as does the World Medical Association. I read yesterday that um, uh, currently 1,724 New Zealand doctors have, um, have signed uh, their opposition to the act. And they say on their website, these 1,724 doctors, they say, we believe that crossing the line to intentionally assist a person to die would fundamentally weaken the doctor-patient relationship, which is based on trust and respect. We are concerned. We are especially concerned with protecting vulnerable people who can feel that they've become a burden to others, and we are committed to supporting those who find their own life situations a heavy burden. That's what they. That's what they say. As, as followers of Jesus, we ought to ask God to reveal His will to us especially with decisions like this. Paul prays in, in, the, in the book of Colossians that we will be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Uh, and I've already talked about this morning about how we're Imago Dei. We're, we're all made in the image of God and that our life comes from the breath of God. Every person, every human life uh, has dignity, has value, has significance, has meaning. Life is God-given. And as we read the scriptures, we realize that death too is also in God's hands. I was thinking about Psalm 139. You know, uh, it's, it's a passage that, um, that 
if you're expecting a baby, you, you might be drawn to because in Psalm 139 it says, For you formed, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. God has numbered our days. We might be tempted like Adam and Eve to like seize control and, and try, to, try, to have the, try to take the choice for ourselves when to, to end our days. We can't control whether we live forever, but maybe we can take control and take that choice of when we end our life. But trusting God means trusting him with that as well, with our life as well as our death. Our bodies are not our own, is how, how the Apostle Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians six nineteen to 20. Our body is not his own. Scriptures teach us that, this, that God is trustworthy, that he cares for us even in our suffering. Psalm 90, 12 is a, is a prayer and it asks God, teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. Each day, each day has significance. You know, we, we sometimes joke, well, I sometimes joke like, oh, another day, another dollar. Have you ever done that? Another day, another dollar. Or if you're really old school, you might go, like sand through an hourglass. So are the days of our lives. Uh, from the, one of the older soap operas. But it's that, that's not true. That's not true. I'm not going to say another day, another dollar, because this is the day the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. Every day is significant, and even in suffering, as hard as that is, every day counts. Sometimes it's, it's incomprehensible. We can't understand. We have no answers for why people go through pain and suffering. Why did Jesus not go and heal Lazarus? His fa- the, the family of Lazarus, they had no way of knowing what Jesus was up to. Sometimes it's incomprehensible. You go, God, what are you up to? You know, sometimes... Sometimes it is comprehensible. We we re, we've I've talked about how sin entered the world, and, and and definitely suffering can happen as the result of people's actions. But it's not always the case. And in the middle of the Bible, the Bible is such a fascinating book, isn't it? This book of books. It's so crazy that right near the near the middle of it is this book of Job. And if you don't know the story of Job, then read it and be cheered up. Um, <laughs> A righteous man, a good man, and then, and then for some reason, he has this horrific and intense suffering. So intense, his his suffering. He lost his he lost his kids. Uh, it, oh, it's just unbelievable when you read what happened to him. It was so intense that his wife told him, "Curse God and die." It's, she was saying to him, "It's better for you to be dead than to suffer." But Job, in this book, he refuses to see death as the solution. And we, and we read it, and it's like, but why did he suffer, God? Why did you let Job suffer? And like, honestly, it's, it's hard to say. But then you have God turning up at the end of it, and uh, it's amazing prophetic things that God says. Is it prophetic if God says it? <laughs> <laughs> prophetic is God speaking, right? 
It's revelatory things. Suffering. Sometimes it's incomprehensible. And like this book of Job, it's part of our scriptures. It's part of the written word that God has provided for us. Jesus himself suffered incredible, incredible pain on our behalf. He suffered incredible pain and torment when he went to the cross and he died to save us. When he died to restore to us the connection with God that was lost in in our rebellion. Humanity's rebellion in the Garden of Eden. Jesus, again... Horrendous, beaten, tortured. People attempted to humiliate him, stripping him naked, tried to rob him of his dignity, pinning him with nails through his hands and his feet on the cross, naked. Nailed him to the cross, suffering what is described often as being one of the most excruciatingly painful, horrendous death, and yet Jesus Jesus did it for us. And, and in this moment, Jesus is on the cross and he doesn't, he, he doesn't ask to end his life. Instead, in this moment, uh, he's, as he's on the cross, he's dying. But he surrenders control and he trusts his father with his life and his death. He gives himself to God his Father in absolute surrender. And you read in Luke 23, and Jesus calling out in a loud voice says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. And sometimes we read that going, this was Jesus ending his life, but I don't think that's what he's doing. I think that he's trusting God. He's going into your hands. My body is on this cross. Into your hands I entrust my spirit. Jesus shows how he is entrusting all of himself, including his spirit, into the hands of his Father. Unlike Adam and Eve, who seized control and took from that tree and ate it for themselves, Jesus surrenders and he submits to God completely. And then three days later, the day of days, resurrection. Jesus was resurrected, victorious over death. Victorious over death. Jesus enters into death. Death cannot contain him. Death has lost its sting through Jesus' death. The end of life choice referendum acts like death is the solution. That it's a way to escape. But that's not how death is described in the Bible. It's my conviction that Jesus' death is our solution, yes. But death, our death, is not something that we should run to. It's not something that we should embrace. Death is the enemy to be conquered, not to be embraced. How are you going? <laughs> it's a, I want to come back to life. We talk, we, talk, we, we talk about death to talk about life. My my hope, I guess. Well, if I'm honest, I hope that you all you all believe me, and that you don't vote for the act to be enacted. But what I really want you to do is to seek the will of God, to be able to go. What is your will in this? To to think, to read, to pray, and then and then to vote. Cast your vote. And um, uh, it's really interesting thinking about um. Rosh Hashanah, Jewish New Year. The day to remember that God is the creator and to reflect on our mortality, the meaning of life. To reflect today, 
This is what happens. People reflecting on mortality, on the meaning of life, and on God being the judge of mankind. And I've been thinking about how when we go to you know, the, the polling booth, uh, or if you, you know, cast your vote in some other way, it's, uh, it's like we're, we're actually being... Um, you, know, you know, in the olden days, witnesses in a court, they'd swear on the Bible, and they'd be essentially kind of be swearing before God that they're going to be telling the truth. And there's a sense as when we go to, go to vote, being aware that God is the judge and that God is with us, that he cares for us, that he knows what we're thinking, that, he's, uh, that he wants us to live in line with, what, with his, his will. But also that we're a Margo Day, that we are made in the image of God, that in a, that in a sense we become people that um, are doing God's will as we vote both of those things he's with us he cares for us he loves us he wants us to know his will his ways are good because his ways are good his truth is freedom and in him is life so we are Imago Day. God's image bearers as we make this national decision you, you might be listening to this and going um that you want to know, you want to have that assurance of eternal life with Jesus. That the vote is one thing, but what about your own mortality? What about the end of your days? You might be thinking about, I want to have that assurance. I, um, when I was a when I was a seven or eight year old, I had I had a freak out because I wasn't too sure what I was what was going to happen to me when I died, and so I prayed the sinner's prayer, I, I put my belief and trust in Jesus. And since that day, I've had the assurance that when my days end, that I'm go going to be with Jesus. It's that decision. It's a decision that we can make consciously. Um, and we can do that right now, this morning. Um, got to fight for life. Do you want to stand? We'll, we'll pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Uh, for your life, thank you that you are, are the light, Lord. You're you're the you are the life that you were right at the very beginning when when God made man of dust and breathed life into humanity. You were there, Lord Jesus, and we thank you, Jesus. That you're the one that laid down our laid down your life so that we might have life. And Lord. I, we, we invite you this morning. You're the God of peace. You're the God of freedom. You're the God of joy. Lord, would you reveal your will to us that we might be filled with the knowledge of your will? I want to pray as, as Paul prayed. We pray, Lord Jesus, that we might be filled with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we are able to walk in a manner worthy of you, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of you, God. And I, I pray your blessing over Capital Vineyard Church, whether we're here or at home, Lord, that, that we, Lord, may be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, that we're able to give thanks to you, our Father, for you have qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints 
in light. You have delivered us from the domain of darkness and you've transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. We bless you, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. Lord, and as as we vote and as the uh, New Zealanders, eligible New Zealanders vote, Lord, I pray that your will would be done. Lord, in our country, in Aotearoa, land of the long white cloud, your will would be done as it is in heaven, Lord Jesus. We ask for this in your name. Amen. Amen.